I'm Jason Wynn. Uh, I'm a filmmaker. I'm a creative director at Westbrook Inc., Westbrook Media. And I've been making stuff for the internet for the last decade. That's kind of my thing. Welcome to the Vietnamese. I'm your host, Kenneth Wynn. Being part of a culture of nearly 100 million Vietnamese people in the world today comes with a lot of pain, proud history, and privilege. Join me as I highlight and explore the Vietnamese experience from all over. Going through your work, uh, I've seen this sort of early capturing of who you were. Was that something deliberate and intentional to be caught on camera or to capture yourself on camera at such a young age? Yeah, I think, you know, most people who like, I think, film themselves at an early age, you know, I, I think the thought process for me is, is that it's out of necessity, right? It wasn't like I wanted to put myself on camera because I had aspirations to be an actor or aspirations to, to be on camera for a long time. I just wanted to make stuff with my camcorder, make stuff with my video camera. And a lot of the times there wasn't anybody else around. So if I was going to make something, I could be in it and I could, I could be the subject in front of the lens and I could take that footage and I could, I could kind of teach myself how to edit and teach myself how to like do movie tricks that, you know, that I would see and pick up. And that's sort of like why I wanted to do it in the first place. I think it was just the start of being creative and the start of my creative journey. It's some crazy shit. Cause it's like really creative and it's really uh, vulnerable and it's very thoughtful and a very aware as a young child to say the things that you did. And it's beautiful how you put it all back together to sort of like, that was me. I wish I could become more of me like in those years again. Um, some of them have really moved me to tears, you know, and I don't say that. Yeah. Like, you do mean that. I appreciate that. I think, you know, I had this big sort of come to Jesus moment as a creative because, I, you know, I think everybody goes through it, especially if you live in L.A. and you're trying to be an artist. It's, it gets hard. Right. And I think for me, the question I needed to ask myself after all these years was like, who am I making this stuff for? Right. If I'm making stuff for 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 me, like if I'm just making stuff as an artist and not for a company, not for a brand, not for a celebrity, what am I doing it for? Who's my audience? Because I've never really played the the social media game, right? I do it for work, but I don't do it in my personal life, right? I, I'm not on that content grind, but I just want to make things. And so when I started to think about it, the the answer that feels the best for my soul is I make stuff for that kid version of me who is like, I wonder if he's going to keep doing this, right? I wonder if he's going to stay creative and just make things for the sake of the joy of it existing. Um, that's kind of why I made that video on my Instagram and kind of what has been motivating me lately to put stuff out and to create, right? You do it for your kid self. Yeah. Um, we are going to get into the work that you do because obviously I, I find it, I mean, I'm, I'm sure the world probably finds it very interesting um, right. to hear about the work that you do, but we're going to get to that by getting to who you are first yeah and the things that i um i was really impressed by was i think it was you at 18 doing stand-up comedy so it's a little bit of a departure from the early kid you doing, right yeah and i really enjoyed it and i'm a i love i love comedy and yeah. I, I wanted to know like that 
point of going from speaking into the camera and talking to comedy? Like, what was, what, why did you go to that route? That route? So it, it, the idea of instant feedback, right? I think it's like why most stand-up comedians do what they do. I actually started younger than 18. I started at 16. And, um, you know, I'd be sneaking out, telling my parents I was at theater practice and then going to do open mics in, in Portland, right? So the reason behind that was most of my childhood up until high school, which is when I started doing stand-up, I was a really introverted kid. I was only ever extroverted or outgoing when I was a playing, like I was playing like make-believe, right? Like when I was coming up with stuff in my imagination, putting myself on camera for, for things just to be uh, like, I didn't know just to be a filmmaker at the time, right? And But when I would exist in the world, I would be really shy and not and not like know how to talk to people. And then when I started getting into stand-up comedy, I started listening to people that really made me laugh and really envying that like that ability to like just touch an audience, right? So I got curious. My friend uh, randomly signed us up for an open mic night in Portland. Uh, drove us there, and I got up in front of a bunch of random people and started doing just started talking and people started laughing and that instant feedback of, okay, this thing is funny. This thing isn't was like really, really fascinating to me as a kid, because when you make stuff like little short films and you don't show it to anybody, there's no way, you know, if something is good or bad, but when you tell a joke and somebody doesn't laugh, you know, right away that that joke doesn't work. So it was a, really interesting way i think for my younger self to start experimenting with like what does an audience think is good or is not good right that's crazy to have the balls to do something like that at 16 it's insane it, <laughs> yeah but it was like in my mind it was like what do i got to lose like uh I, you know i wasn't ever afraid of people thinking i was weird which is a gift i, I think yeah. right because <laughs> i think I think at a really early age, I just sort of accepted. I was like, I'm a weird kid and that's fine. Right. And so if I go up and do stand up and nobody laughs and nobody cares, this, no one's going to know. Who's going to know. Right. It's not like I'm bombing uh, like in, in Carnegie Hall or I'm bombing. Right. Like in front of millions of people. It's not. It's literally like 20 people in a comedy club. What's the worst that can happen? That was my mindset back then. I, it's still my mindset kind of now. It's like you, if you can reduce your sort of expectations of what the failure outcome will be, you can get through the fear a lot easier, right? That's some hard stuff to do, you know? Yeah. It's some hard, it's a hard state to attain is to, first of all, be aware that you need to get rid of that. And then the second yeah. part is to be strong mentally enough to say, you know what? Fuck it. I'm going to push it to the side and I'm going to just plow through this stage. I'm going to get to the headshot. I'm going to try to do yeah. some stage time at an open mic. And that's hard to to motivate ourselves to, to break through this creative sort of um, space. Yeah, but I'm glad I did it because it, it started to wire my brain in the right direction, mm -hmm. which is like, you know, you don't always have to be so precious about people's opinions about you as long as you feel like you get to say what you get to say right and some of the best stand-up comics say what they need to say 
and we resonate with it because it's true, not because it's funny. It's funny because that's what they're good at, right? But it's hilarious because it's true. And how do you know when you are doing work for other people, which we'll mm -hmm. talk about, and doing work yeah. for yourself that you are bringing out the truth in your client, in the work that they're trying to present versus you're the director or you're the content creator for them. And how do you know what the truth is? Because you know your truth, right? Because you've been doing it for a long time. Right. How do you know what their truth is? How do you get into spirit of what they're thinking or what they want? Yeah, I think the easiest route is is a, is a simple conversation, right? If you're ever making stuff for somebody, try to have that early talk of like, well, what is, what do you think is is good? What do you think is hot, right? What do you think is cool? And it's less about like, what do you want to say? Because a lot of the times they won't know that answer, right? And that's why you're there because they don't really know. They have so much they want to say or so much they want to get across. It's 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 a shotgun blast of stuff. And your job is to sort of focus that beam. It's more about like what's a line on tastes, right? So with with a lot of the people I've worked on, I've been lucky that their taste and is is sort of attuned to their personality, right? What they like comes across in how they act and how they treat people and their sense of humor as well. So it's easy to marry the two things mm. um, and and get a good result. So it's it's really about what do you like and and the voice part of it will come because I think people come to celebrities and 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 people of interest because there's there's a certain quality about them that they like and you're there to you're there to heighten it with different formats of media and creation and, and content and all that stuff. Yeah. And then it goes back to for me what why did you leave comedy uh investing so many years into it in the early uh in the yeah. early days of your life is like compound interest when you invest money you the, the longer you do yeah. it the better you get the better you get the more sort of eyeballs you get and a real career can come out of it so i was like and you were good i mean at 18 that video for me that that i watched was like oh my god he's got so much confidence <laughs> and you know got no, thank you. Uh, I think it's what's funny is I don't think I left. I don't think I've left comedy. I think I've just left one way of doing comedy, right? Like um, stand up for me taught me sort of the the, the hard ropes of, of what is funny, what isn't funny, right? And you, you kind of need that. But I, I think at the core, you know, when you look at the stuff that I made as a kid, and then you like you, you think about what I wanted to do just overall I want, I still do want to be a filmmaker, right? So where's that intersection? That intersection for me was sketch comedy, right? The stuff that you see on SNL, the stuff that you see on Mad TV, the stuff that you see like Key and Peele do. I was like, how do I, how do I do that? And that's sort of where my trajectory went. When I moved to LA, uh, long story short, I got a job doing sketch comedy at a company called Nerdist that was owned by Legendary Pictures. And then I made a bunch of sketch comedy videos. Sorry, my cat's walking across my walking across my screen. I made a, I made a ton of sketch comedy videos for them, and was a part of their long running sort of video comedy team for a while before I made it to Will. And when I made it to Will and Westbrook, um, it was sort of an extension Let's of clarify. that. Just... Will, Will this Will is Will Smith. Uh... Will Smith, yes, no, yes. Will Smith and his Willard Smith. 
his production company is Westbrook, or is it that it's production company, right? Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a production company. It's it's a creative agency. It's a bunch of stuff, but yeah, it's Westbrook Westbrook Inc. And you're responsible for creating content over at Westbrook. Yeah, so I work I work on the media side of the fence. Um, I'm one of the creative directors on his team that is tasked with sort of coming up with the creative. Uh, I, I'm a lot of the times boots on the ground directing the creative um, for his social media, right? For stuff that goes up on Instagram and TikTok and YouTube and all that fun stuff. How did you get there? You were talking about Nerdist and, you know. Yeah, so that's kind of the path. Like it's the same answer for both questions when you ask, how did I get here and why did I why did I not continue to stand up? I think uh, it, it, I got here because of my longtime work at, at Nerdist uh, Industries and at Legendary Pictures. I worked there for eight years yeah. and it was a long time, right? So um, the cool part about that job was it was my like filmmaking boot camp because we would be given a budget for the year and we would have to allocate that budget into making sketches that would release every week, right? So it was up to us how fancy is you know a sketch could be every week we had to put something out and when you do something like that you start to get really acquainted with well how do i get the most bang for my buck right how do i spend my money wisely but also get viral content out of this stuff and and a lot of it was centered around pop culture a lot of it was centered around um you know ip a lot of it was centered around just parodies of things that you already know um, that you're comfortable with, but but adding a new perspective to it. And that work, that sketch work, um, eventually got me my job at Westbrook when they asked me to come on in the pandemic. That sounds like uh, the work that you did at Nerdist sounds like basically SNL on social media. Yeah, yeah, yeah. SNL on with no budget. Yeah, yeah. Kirkland <laughs> SNL, for sure. The, the Costco <laughs> SNL. Yeah, Costco SNL, for sure. That's some funny shit. I mean... Uh, and let me ask you, when it comes to being funny and having a deadline, yeah. okay, so what are the criteria? Like, how can you knock that out? What 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 sort of like things on a checklist are, are there so you can target these kind of KPIs, right? These things that you have to like check off for metrics. Yeah, a lot of the times it's like it, it's looking ahead at like what's coming out and and planning it around like, cultural moments that we know are going to be talked about right like like if game of thrones is going to have like is the most talked about thing then we we better have a game of thrones sketch right it's a lot of it's topical a lot of it is trying to stay ahead of the eight ball on on what is coming out and how do we get ahead of 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 being present in that moment and making that joke one of the thing i think one of the our most successful sketches at nerdist was um we we turned Tommy Wiseau into the Joker. Tommy Wiseau is the the guy in the room. Mm-hmm. I'm sure that you've heard of him. And I saw a meme that was him photoshopped as the Joker. And then that meme sort of went viral. And then I was like, you know what? We should just make that happen. So you know, through through a lot of things lining up, we got Tommy to agree to like put on the Joker makeup and make a video, and it went viral. So that's sort of the the mind path. That's an example of the path creatively that we would be thinking about when we'd be making our sketches like what are people talking about how do we capitalize on that on that conversation and then add to it with whatever we're doing and 
cross your fingers that it's uh, that it's funny <laughs> that uh, people think it's funny. I could see the the trajectory for you would probably be to become like a Jed Apatow, right? Is to make these feature films and comedy. Is that uh, something that you think about? I think about it all the time. Yeah, yeah, and I think my sort of um, my sort of like I guess journey right now is to decide if if the stories I want to tell are pure comedies or if they are some hybrid of of something else and i think like a lot of directors who start in comedy comedy ne never leaves right there's still al always going to be an element of of funny in the stories that i want to tell but i don't necessarily know if they're going to be pure you know comedies well why do you even have to worry about it can it be a blend of anything science fiction comedy it could be a yeah i mean but why why is it important for you to even bring that up and not just do a comedy thing that has some attachment to it well because i think when it comes to like the feature like game i think comedy is 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 one of the hardest things to sell right it's one of the hardest things and by sell i don't mean mon monetarily I, I mean like convince somebody to let you make a comedy right right it's 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 a lot of pieces but also the stories aside from that, the stories that I've been drawn to that I want to tell um, ha ha have a touch of realness to them, have a touch of like heart to them. And I know they're going to be some, some hybrid mix. So it's not that I'm worried about making a, a full comedy. It's that as an artist, I don't know if that's like exactly what I, the stories I kind of want to tell right now. I don't know if they're all hundred percent funny, but maybe it's just, maybe it's the time. Maybe I'm just depressed. <laughs> I don't know. I, I love your answer because it, it shows so much thought and intention because um, you could have just said, yeah, I want to be Judd Apatow and do some you know comedies, but you really specifically said that you wanted to pair up with, you know, like maybe another genre or something. And it just shows yeah. me that this idea of like where we are, where you are in your headspace is a very important thing to kind of like say, hey, this is not just comedy. This is not this parent thing. Right. It 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 it's a lot more. There's a lot more emotions going on. Yeah, I think I think every good artist draws from everything they know, right? And it just so happens. Hold on, my my cat scratching my TV. Wait one second. Um. Yeah. Every every good artist, I think, draws from 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 what they know and. Right now, my my scaffolding, my building blocks as an artist is comedy, right? It's what I know the best. But but I look at I look at recent filmmakers who do a beautiful job at bringing in that sort of comedic background into their work, and it still shines. But it's not necessarily a pure comedy, right? Like yeah. the Daniels or Taika or Jordan Peele, like all of these guys who had comedy roots, um, but don't necessarily make pure comedies. Not that there's anything against pure comedies. I, I love a good old stupid comedy, you know? Um, but you're just, talking now comedy with like social awareness levels, like Jordan right. Peele, right? Taika, these are all, these are big names that uh, incorporate this idea of like, what's bubbling underneath a horror right. film, right? There's a right. bullshit that's happening that, I, that really I resonates with people. Yeah, and, and, and for me, I think it's so fascinating that, like, take Taika as an example, somebody who is so naturally funny, 
right? Who is so naturally gifted at comedy and, and knows that world really well. What we do in the shadows is hilarious, knows <laughs> format, knows what actually sells a, a comedy movie to turn around and do like Jojo Rabbit yeah. is, is, yeah. and Thor is, yeah. is fascinating. fascinating. And I think, I think there's, there's a bit of that draw for, for me as an artist to be like, okay, I think the new, maybe this, there's, there's a world of filmmakers who don't need to be pigeonhole one thing anymore. No. Right. Mm-mm. And that's great. That's exciting. But that's hard to do too. Right. That's hard to do. I mean, yeah. What did Tycho? Taika get it get it started. Did he do Flight of the Condors? I think he worked a lot with those guys. Flight of the Concords. Uh, oh, those, Concord, yeah. Those, yeah, those guys he worked with early. I mean, those guys were in his, some of his earliest works. But his early movies were beautiful, right? He, you know, he he had a, a Oscar nominated short film that was that was amazing. He he made Boy, that was beautiful. Uh, Hunt for the Wilder People. So. He's, he's been a great storyteller yeah. for a while. And I think that's my compass, right? Is I know, I know when we talk about genres and we talk about like navigating multiple things, yes, that's difficult. But, but at the end of the day, telling a good story should be at the heart of what you're doing. And if you can't tell a good story, then, you know, you, you gotta spend a little bit more time practicing that, yeah. that skill. I, I can tell you have a good head on your shoulders. Uh, and here's why, here's why I say that is because you understand the the back end side of what needs to happen to make a good product, a good story. Um, and beyond that too, you have the connections to do that at this point in your life. But let me ask you, what is the next step for somebody at your level? Because you have the technical know-how. I'm sure you have the people you can put together the package for the money. And maybe you have a few script ideas that you've written and yeah. playing around. What needs to happen from where you are to becoming a Taika or, you know, one of these guys that makes their first feature film and then they land on the map. Yeah. You're like, Oh shit, that's Jason Wynn. He was on the podcast. <laughs> you know what, what, what does it take to uh, yeah. where you are now to, to, to being on the map? Quote unquote. Yeah. Oh, money. Y'all, whoever's listening, you know, <laughs> financiers, you know, I'm just kidding. Um, no, I think, I think you want the heady answer that the answer that I've been, I'm literally thinking about all every day of my life is like, uh, a real commitment to myself, right? Yeah, I, I know just, that's why are you so chicken yeah. shit, right? I don't know. That- yeah, it's 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 less. Hey, maybe I am chicken shit. I think I think for so long, and and you know this might like lead into you know a, a whole other conversation. But for so long, um, I I felt like I had to prove myself in this industry in the arenas that I was in, yeah. right? Like being the only Vietnamese creative, like just being so young too, starting in the industry. I started producing sketches at like age 20 right with like real budgets and i didn't know how to do that but um i figured it out and so i went from producing to writing to directing and i'm so sorry let me let me move my cat out of my yeah she's just loud can you hear yeah we're good okay cool um yeah so i i I went from writing to producing to directing and you know some some mix of that and i felt like i needed to prove myself in in this world and i was building sort of my my team like the people i wanted to work with and like who who i knew and how how this worked and then the pandemic happened right like right when i was like all right it's time it's time to invest in myself pandemic happens i get offered this new job and this job is unlike any job i've ever done before 
right? I don't know this world, right? I don't know what it's like to be on the inner circle of, of celebrity culture and like be on a stage that's this big, but in a, in a platform and a structure that is so short, right? So learning that, teaching myself that, like I'm addicted to learning. And so at some point I need to stop using that as the, yeah. the thing that is stopping me from, from doing what I want to do. Right. And I think that's, that's starting to happen. That's starting to happen, but you know, it took me, took me a long time to get there. And what about the writing? Will you go back to writing, putting together a feature script and, you know, and yeah, yeah, that's, that's what I'm working on right now. That's what I'm working on right now. I'm, I'm writing, I'm writing some features that I, I, I feel passionately about. Um, I'm working on some short films that I've, I've shot one already. I'm going to shoot another one. So I'm really sort of like really starting to invest in myself now. It just took a long time. Now, what is your day-to-day -day at Westbrook? My day-to-day -day at Westbrook. So a lot of the times um, I, I'm not just across Will's desk. Uh, I'm, I'm across a bunch of other accounts, right? So so often it's it's having meetings pitching to clients pitching social ideas pitching pitching um pitching ideas to new clients and then if i'm not pitching i'm executing those ideas right it's it's going out and making them and filming them capturing them and after that i'm in the post process so it's it's a constant churn of of uh writing shooting editing finishing right so you're you're across a bunch of people like a mini production arm of Westbrook to say, Hey, have an idea. Here's how we can monetize this particular kind of like window of a story. You pitch the story, you write the story, you go and produce it and you edit it and then you pop it on the, the, the website or the social media. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, luckily we, we have like, we have a lot of great support. We have a great post-production team and we have, we have producers and we have people who are, who are here to help um, bring, stuff together quickly but that's sort of what it is yeah it is it is sort of an extension of what i did at nerdist but but um at westbrook with will and with other brands and clients yeah. why do you think you were tapped to do the work that you did or you do you know that's a good question i i wonder about that all the time um i, I think look i think i i i know what i like right and i've always been confident in in what i like and my taste is uh, is still developing and building, but but it I, I'm not unsure about what I like, right? And so I think lucky for me, what I like aligns with what Will wants to put out and what Will's team wants to put out, and and all the people above me at Westbrook want to put out, and it's a sense of personality being the the, the heart of anything you make, right? So whether that's a comedic video, whether that's a motivational video or behind the scenes, people are there because they can't get enough of who he is as, as a person. And he's for, for a long time been such a good example of, of personality coming through genuinely right uh, on the internet. And I think maybe my my taste and my sort of unwavering non no hesitation decisions on on what I like and what we should do may have contributed to it. I think I also had a good chunk of time when I first started at Westbrook not doing will stuff, 
Um, when I first started, I was sort of like a creative director gun for hire through Westbrook for mm. Alicia Keys and Pink and, and John Boyega and all these other celebrities and really learned to navigate that relationship, right? right? Creative director to, to talent, what that talent relationship is like. So um, when it came time to, to doing stuff for, for Will full time, it was, uh, it was easy. It was easy. So there wasn't any fear or, or hesitation doing it. And I think maybe that's why I was tapped to, to do my job. And I'm, great, great I'm answer, good, yeah. maybe. I mean, <laughs> maybe I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> I love the confidence. Uh, well, it's, you know, yeah. it's you, you bring up this alignment factor a few times, you know, but do yeah. you ever worry that your ideas or your Midas touch to produce these things that are inherently your alignment drying up? Do you ever worry about it? Like, yeah. wow, shit gets like what I'm doing is getting old. Like, I think yeah. about that with the work that I do. I'm like, God, is my questions getting old? Am I like an old dude and I lose relevance in the questions that I ask? Is that something that goes through your mind? Every every day, every day, every day. And and I think the the thing maybe the, my my biggest learning from from working here at Westbrook is that there is there is beauty in collaboration right and and of course you you know that working in any sort of collaborative art form right and filmmaking is a collaborative art form but so is so is content creation right and i think a lot of content content creators are so so used to being an island right being being a content factory on on their own and there's a lot of merit when you feel rusty it's probably cuz it is musty so hit somebody else right Hit somebody else, bring somebody in, get a new perspective. Um, uh, the, the beauty about working with Will is that we have so much access to, to amazing artists and amazing creatives that we lean on and that we, that we collaborate with um, to keep things fresh. But you should always be questioning if you are in a field where you have to consistently put stuff out, is it, is it fresh? Like, is it good? Like, you should always be asking that. Asking questions in this podcast sometimes um are you know it's easy and sometimes it's hard like this question i'm about to ask you i got to figure out how to yeah. do it where it's yeah. delicate but i read uh will smith's uh, autobiography uh before all that went down at the oscars and i right. uh, saw what happened and i because i understand where he was coming from with the protection of people that he felt like he failed in the past. I understood it on, on that level. And anybody who follows Will Smith and is a fan and who's been sort of like in the trenches with him and watching his journey can probably empathize and understand like what that really was all about. You know, if they followed mm -hmm. it. Um, but I'm sure that you have a perspective on because you probably I'm doing the math and I'm, I'm realizing that during the pandemic and everything, when you got called in to work at Westbrook, this was your sort of like your foray into mm -hmm. this universe. And you see that this mm -hmm. happened and this was probably on your watch in the early days. Can you talk a little bit about like how you felt and what, what kind of all went down from your perspective and in, internally for you? Yeah, look, look, I'll be straight up and, and tell you that I'm limited with, with the things that I can, I, I freely talk about right now. But yeah. what I can say is, is no matter who it is, whether it's Will, whether it's it's a uh, a singer, an author, uh, a teacher, a dad, you have to have empathy in moments where you question if it made sense, right? 
where something happens and it's shocking, you have to sort of take a step back and have a human moment and, you know, sure, pass your judgment, right? You're going to do that anyways, right? Um, decide how you feel. But then once you're done doing that, take a step back and think about the human aspect of this of this all. And think about how insane it is, the job of not just being a celebrity, but being a superstar. And yeah. I think there's a difference. There's a difference between being being famous because fame is 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 a is a is an ever changing thing nowadays, right? With social media and 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 the, the influencer culture, but being cut from the cloth that he's cut from, being this sort of iconic figure, the superstar, right? Think about how insane of a job that is. It's an insane job. You're so busy. Everybody wants so much from you. And and the worst part of it all is that there is a very, very specific image of what you have in, in of what you are in their heads that you never asked for, right? Now, again, none of this is excusing any sort of behavior. I think I think we can all agree that nobody should hit anybody, right? But at the end of the day, have a little empathy for somebody going through something at, at, at a weird moment. If, if like he was your family member and that happened, you, yeah. you would probably be like, whoa, why did he do that? Right. Instead of passing judgment and just only, you know, being negative about it. But that's easy for me to say because, you know, I, I, I'm on his team, but I feel, I feel bad for everybody involved. And that's sort of my, my perspective just broadly is, yeah. is that it sucks. It's yeah, a dumb it, thing that happened and let's move on. Right. But it wasn't like a bar fight where you get caught just spur of the moment you get enraged at a bar fight. And then you're like, well, what the fuck was that all about? No, this is something different. And I think that empathetic, that feeling, what you're saying is like, I don't even know the guy, but I feel like I get it. I understand. Like when you have this like pent up, like childhood, issues that you feel, you know, a certain way and, you know, your family member is perceived, you perceive it to be in a, in a, in a tough situation, you react. And I, if he was my family member, I would not feel upset or judgy. I would feel, oh my God, my heart goes out to right. what you just went through. Yeah. And, and look, like I, I, I can't, I can't assume I know the reason or, or try to inform from anything that I know about him, even being on his team. I, all I can say is that, is that it, it's an unfortunate event and like nobody was thrilled about that. Right. And that, 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 that did nothing good for anybody, but we should be able to see it move on. I think everything that has, has yet to be said about it has been said by both parties and, and that should be good for y'all. Yeah. You know, like if you're yeah. still worried about it, then you, you love drama. Yeah. I don't know. Now, when you think about like all of the things that go, uh, the content that's being produced in your your world, Westbrook or whatever, like how do you sign up sort of like put together like thematics, right? Like some I've seen on mental health, some I've seen on production, new production, uh, things or, uh, that have talked about, you know, uh, talking points of, um, podcasts before, like, how do you figure out what goes on, uh, the content, uh, of, of social media for Westbrook? Wait, say that again, like ask, ask me that one more time. So how, how does do mental health play into 
No, no. There's the different contender. topics. There's different topics that I right. that I that I see. I mean, because it's sort of like it all falls into the brand of of uh, Westbrook. Mm. But how do you gauge sort of like what topics? Uh, how do you balance out and calibrate the percentages of mental health or new uh, series that you guys are producing or uh, just talking heads? How do you figure what goes on? What what's the feeling that you? that you go by to, to post these things on the social media page for, for Westbrook? Yeah, I think a lot of the stuff we're drawn to, uh, I think at the core is comedic, right? Will, Will is a funny dude. And I think levity is always important in, in, in the world. And so a lot of the stuff we lean towards is funny, but I think it's just beyond funny or not funny. I think genuine is is what we always strive for um a sense of a sense of authenticity that i think um he's great at and that's the stuff that we that we look to program and and the stuff that we put out is there's there's a lot of a lot of westbrook's work it has sort of an authentic art to it right like it's a, it's real opinions real voices when you think about the stuff that we do on the red table talks out of the fence, it's, it's, it's unfiltered. And then when you, t when you think about the stuff we do on the will side of the fence, it's unfiltered, right? Like we just put him out as he is. Like one of my favorite things I got to work on is a show called best shape of my life um, uh, that we put out on YouTube. And it's, it's a story about uh, will trying to lose 20 pounds uh, quickly, right? Because in the pandemic, he felt like he was in the worst shape of his life. And I think, being able to like share that journey and share it like share it authentically and put out a picture that's one of our most viral posts is putting out a picture of will with his tummy out being like i'm in the worst shape of my life I remember right? that the, yeah there is something special about somebody who can do that and step past their ego a little bit and and try to connect with with people who are just like him and and again i don't want to come off as altruistic it's not like we're doing world changing stuff but I think for anything you're doing online, I think authenticity is a big, big factor. No doubt. And that's hard to do. It's not easy. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Now, when you analyze, and now that you're very close to the African-American entertainment set, the groups of mm -hmm. the African-American set, and you think about uh, Asian-Americans or Vietnamese-Americans, yeah. what can we learn from a group that have been that has been in that world and has been striving to make their mark uh, all these years and what can we as a community of asian americans or vietnamese americans learn from the african american entertainment community i think we share a lot of the same values i think there is for for you know african american driven entertainment there's a tenacity that has has now been sorting starting to break through right and that tenacity crosses genres. It crosses, uh, you know, different media types from film, television to, to, to the internet. And, and I think it's, it's inspiring to see the stories that do get told. And I think a lot of the, a lot of the things that I've seen is just this, this mutual respect for other people's work that I think gets championed a lot uh, in that community. And when I think about the Asian American community, I think, you know, what's, what is sort of cool, but, but also an interesting challenge to navigate is that 
Asian American and Asian AAPI is such a big pool, right? And our cultures are different. And it is this right double-edged knife of trying to get more representation across the board for Asian uh, for Asians in the, in the in the entertainment industry. But there's also this perception that right that are we are we the same community or are we different and how how are these differences playing out? And I think I would love to see a lot more um, maybe unity uh, you know across the board for um, for our community right like like different um, different groups coming together and championing each other's work but I think that work is happening I think that that stuff is is moving right now and hopefully I see more of it you're you're right about how different uh, I mean between Korean Japanese Vietnamese yeah. Chinese, you know um, Indonesian culture it's right. different it's I mean for intensive purpose it's a just different it's entirely different but when you look at the african-american community it's all english speaking and they all come from the united states and it's all sort of like one block of people and the mobilization and the history of all of that block of people have been here for hundreds of years getting together and the tenacity that it took we weren't even born yet to 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 know that that's Mm -hmm. that history and here we are just showing up in the last maybe 30 40 years um you know, specks of, of, of Asian America has is beginning to show up on, on the big screen. And maybe in the last five years, we are now sort of getting, um, you know, screen time. But we have a long way to go, don't we? Well, we have a long way to go. We, we really do. But that is when it comes to, to, to race in this country, it's slow moving and it will always be slow moving. But what I'm excited about is um, is that we are now in the game, right? We we are now. We do have a dog in this fight now, and and like you said, we are we are newer to this process than than the African American community, right? They've been pushing through this since the birth of entertainment, right? Has yeah. has been intertwined in that process, and to finally see windfalls for them now must be must be a unique experience, right? For to to feel like, oh, now we're breaking through, and and what about the hundred plus years, right? Like. For, for Asians in America, I think we are we're on the same path. But what excites me and also interests me is how do we leverage how massive this community is to support each other's work across different cultures, right? Because I think a lot of the times, you know, we, we are put into our pockets. And that's cool, too. I want to see more stuff from Vietnamese Americans, right? And I'm excited to see what comes out of this community and that's okay because it's okay to celebrate that our cultures are different but i think across the board i would love to see cross-cultural support right people shouting out different people's work right a korean american director shouting out an indonesian director and uh, an indian director shouting out a chinese director from from the north like i want to see I want to see more cross-cultural support. And when I say I want to see more, I don't mean that that doesn't exist. It's that I, that's, I'm excited to see more, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, because it creates a sort of brand trust. It, it, you know, like when you have, when you have dope Asian American creators talking about other Asian American creators, you get the seeds of a creative community that, that is strong and you think you you see that in in african americans in the entertainment industry there is such great cross-pollination with with um 
people being sort of put on, right? And and championed, and that's awesome. And I think maybe there there's a path for us to do the same. When I uh, think about Westbrook and I think about uh, the projects that I see, which is like Cleopatra or Jinja mm-hmm. or these uh, very niche uh, titles that inspire uh, their community, uh, African-American community. And I think to our community and we have a plethora of these legends and myths and, you know, identities, right. that, IPs that we can put out, you know, the, and they're shared too. some are, you know, shared with right. in all of us. But what is the reality of the numbers? Because Jinja and, and Cleopatra um, are for a segment of the population. Let's face it, we're in a white dominated uh, world in the mm-hmm. United States. And when a po- project like Cleopatra or Jinja comes out, how well do they do they do? I mean, we as Asian Americans are even smaller. We're a fraction of the black population. So is this business all about numbers and eyeballs or we make a good story like Crazy Rich Asian and everybody's like on the bandwagon. Like, how does this work? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. I agree with that. I think, you know, I can't speak to Westbrook's numbers because I'm not, I'm not sort of tapped into that department. So I don't know how well anything does. And I try not to know. Um, I think if, if, if we're talking about this project, it's a testament to Westbrook wanting to just tell the stories they want to tell, right? Like, even if it's niche. And, I, you know, the, the, the elephant in the room, the, you know, and, and you, you can feel, feel whatever, which way you want to feel about it, whether it's a good thing or a bad thing is that, yes, it does take a hit for us to start getting the conversation rolling and it'll come in waves, right? Like crazy rich, rich Asians open the door to a lot of conversation about the Asian American community, right? And then you'll get another project and another project like that. And I think it, we get, we got to keep it up, right? Um, we, we need more projects like that, but it, it, it's going to take, it's going to take box office success, yeah. which is, which is hard. Right. But it's not impossible. And that's what I mean by tenacity. Right. Um, that's what I mean by tenacity is, is that it, it can happen once it's going to happen again. And not to say that there hasn't been AAPI stories out there that aren't doing well. Right. Like you, you think about Minari and you think about, all of the things that have happened in, in our recent past, the Daniels, like, like it's the fact that that one best picture is, is heartwarming to me. Right. Because it is, a, it is an Asian story, but it's a universal story that one best picture and it swept the awards. And, and to me, that's a good, that's a good sign that we're maybe moving in a, in a better direction. Right. And yeah. it was a box office hit. It swept, right. It cleaned house. So, so that's a good thing. It's a good thing. Have you uh, gone to Vietnam? I have. I have. Yeah. When did you go back? I went back. It was a crazy experience. I went back in October for my grandma's funeral. And um, I hadn't been back in 21 years. And it was so fascinating because when I did go back, I was born there. I I left the country when I was two. Um, I went back when I was eight. And uh, when I went back, I, I got really sick. So I don't remember anything. I was like really feverish. I had an infection. I had the mumps. So the whole time I was back uh, as a child, I was sick the whole time in and out of hospitals. And now going back as an adult, you know, I have all these cousins who have really distinct memories of me and and distinct memories of us doing things. I don't remember any of it. So it was really like relearning 
sort of this secret history that I have that I, I have no recollection of and them sort of telling me what I was like when they met me, what they thought about me. And going back to Vietnam now, it's so fascinating just how how optimized for for tourism it is and how, you know, like there's apps now. You can just get on somebody's the back of somebody's moped and go anywhere you want. And it's it's crazy. But to but to still but to have that still in the heart of all of these markets and 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 people and street vendors and people just trying to make it uh throughout the day is, is crazy it's crazy it was a crazy experience really eye-opening yeah do you follow the entertainment world in vietnam i don't i don't as much as i should i don't as much as i should but i know that there's a big effort to do more over there right now yeah there is um they're cranking out things but our sensibilities are very different you know uh, vietnamese America yeah. versus vietnamese and Viet vietnam Storytelling is good. Good storytelling it will always be good storytelling, but at the same time, um, you know, I I I always have this question of like, you know, when we go back as Vietnamese American directors or producers, you know, how much of the understanding of the culture do we really have for the general understanding of Vietnamese people in Vietnam? And and the answer is like sometimes it's like we think we know, but we don't know. It's hard. To I, know. I, I, I can easily say that I don't know. I don't know, right? Like, um, I you know, I just did my first photo project, which is a sort of a tangent, but I, I did my first photo project and it was about gun violence in, in the Asian American culture and my mom wanting a gun. So I shot these photos, but I didn't put it out for two years. I shot it two years ago and I didn't put it out for two years because I didn't, if, I, if, I, if there's one thing I'm not confident about is like, how do how will Vietnamese people feel about me and what I want to say? Right. And what will they say about seeing somebody in an Aoyai with a gun in the in the same image? Will there be judgment? And recently I got past that and I was like, you know what? All I can tell are stories I know. So to me, it's a Vietnamese American story because that's what I am. Right. But when it comes to a purely Vietnamese audience, that's 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 still a gray space for me. I don't know what what that audience is looking for. I think I think there's a lot of different things going on there's different senses of humor there's different uh, like there's there's different levels of what what they think is good storytelling right so um that's something i'm curious to find out more about what do, what do you think i'm curious to know you are you more involved in that in that world yeah, or? I, i've uh, been you know in contact with that world for you know the last two decades and you know my brother lives there he's been there for 20 years and some of my film yeah. partners have been there and lived there and i go back and spend time and i've developed uh, some feature um projects feature film projects um but i am you know i have two right now that i um that i really want to make but i don't know yeah. Are these a Vietnamese American fairy tales in my brain going like, yeah, this is going to work for the Vietnamese box office. You know, I, I'm, I'm scared. Right. I'm, I, I think I asked my guests like you for permission, you know, like, what do you think? Do you think we, you know, a good story is a good story or you really have to have some cultural nuance understanding of what the hell is going on to make something that will travel. But I'm in both worlds. I, I think a lot of times, like some people have said, I'm, I dream in Vietnamese when I sleep. Um, so yeah. I, you speak Vietnamese and I understand the culture, but again, the framework and the way it's being delivered is going to be through a trans-Pacific, you know, Vietnamese American lens. So I don't know. Yeah. Is it worth the gamble? I, I'm, I'm very 
not confident about it. So that's why I ask people like you. I stay optimistic. I stay delusional sometimes. I I feel like in order for my brain to work, I just need to believe that good stories will cut across gaps that you might not be able to solve strategically, right? Like there's a reason why everybody knows who Indiana Jones is. There's a reason why, you know, Star Wars was is as big as it is and and those are franchise examples, but I do think think there is merit to just telling a good story and and hopefully that story is a universal story but that could be a pipe dream right um at the end of the day it keeps me writing so i'm just going to tell myself that well yeah i mean what do you think if if i think if if you're creating something and you're writing something for shooting and consumption in 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 america Mm -hmm. or your way of seeing it is a very unique way because um, there's not a lot of Vietnamese American, you know, from that perspective, there's not a lot of uh, uh, anybody who is seeing it the way you're seeing it in the United States yeah. that you can't, you come from. So being from wherever we're from and we were creating some sort of like uh, narrative makes sense because it's still going to be a fresh narrative coming from within the United States. But, man, when you start putting cameras in Vietnam and telling, you know, like a uh, coming of age story for a Vietnamese kid, you know, mm-hmm. I could tell you like, but th- that's another discussion that I wanted to talk with you too. It's like, I could come up with like these beat story beats for this character of coming of age in a kitchen or on mm-hmm. a stage wanting to become a pop singer. But how do I know it's quote unquote connecting or funny to the audience or heartwarming to an audience that has different dispositions a different taste than i do yeah that's a tough one because you know i think american audiences are quick to let you know what what they like right we 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 see things trend here we can sort of forecast sort of what it is like the appetite for 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 creative is and i think that's something i'm curious about it's like what is what do you think the appetite like what do you think most vietnamese people look for like broadly, I could tell you the three movies that like knocked out of the box office. Well, the first two's family, and then the third one is like this action film. But all of them revolve mm. around like the sort of like the a darling of of Vietnam. Jung Tan is the first two, uh, yeah. top, you know, he did right. yeah and uh, Nha Banu, which are two movies. They're family uh, comedies. Right. But they both right. star him. Jung Tan. Jung Tan is this like big Ryan Seacrest kind of guy with uh, a right, very, right. yeah, just a very smart guy. Uh, he's young too, right. and he came right. up with two amazing uh, films that like killed it in the U.S. And in, I mean, Vietnam is like one did eighteen million, the other did twenty two million. Most yeah. box office, you know, averages like six to seven million. Highest mm-hmm. before he released it was. 12 million maybe so to hit up to like 17 18 million and then to make one for and that got 22 million and and crazy u.s box office numbers uh, you know he has an understanding that's awesome the zeitgeist of like what people want to feel he might be the person to ask you know what i mean he might be a person to 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 that's what i mean like like i know it's a long shot sometimes but like that's what I want more from this community is that, is that if the pool is so small, let's share, let's share wisdom, right? Like with each other. And if he knows if there's something that he's been able to unlock, I would love if he, I would love for him to be a person that maybe connects to 
this filmmaking community over here more. And and I think also broadly, like if you're saying the things that do well are two family family driven stories, then you have to sort of Trojan horse it, right? Like, yeah. is it a coming of age story that's wrapped up in a in a family story, right? I always think about like when I do think about like fringe ideas and like how people started out, right? Like, and, and I think about these bigger ideas from the genre films I grew up on, like like Star Wars, right? Like, how did they pitch it, right? Was it was it like it's a space a western or it's a right it's a aliens is it's a it's a creature feature but in space right like what is the trojan horse thing mm. that you're going to get people to understand right away and then give them the real story right um give them the coming of age story because if you can get them on board i think their their appetite for story is going to be higher cuz i can see like a movie like everything everywhere all at once in vietnam being super confusing right being being tough tough to understand because they're because we as americans understand the genre of interdimensional travel and yeah. and sci-fi and kung fu but but then at the end of the story the daniels wanted to just tell an empathetic story about a mother accepting her daughter but if you go out and pitch that people might think it's boring so it's almost like you flip it on its head like how do you tell the family story but secretly tell the coming of age story right if that's what's working or or how do you how do you how do you sort of um put the action parts in, in a in a easy to swallow pill but it really still is like a, a heartwarming story about whatever you want to tell so that's that's where my brain goes broadly without knowing the details um but that's that's sort of like how we do it on social media it's like people people like funny they like weird how do we do it but also stay genuine to, mm. to his personality so it's if i can take those learnings and apply it to a bigger stage like that's what i would do what does it mean to be vietnamese to nowadays uh vietnamese american or, or vietnamese you tell or me is that how same do you see boat? yourself yeah how do you see yourself vietnamese vietnamese american or or nothing at all like you are vietnamese it's, and so you know wherever that lands I think, I think, I, I'll be, I'll be really honest. I think for me, being Vietnamese has always been an identity crisis for me, right? Because you're coming up in this, and again, this might be a universal story to a lot of Asian Americans, but I think for me growing up, you're told that the, that the culture you're born with is so radically important, right? You have to learn the language. You have to not forget your past. I'm born there and my parents are born there. My brother is born there and all we speak in at home is Vietnamese. But then on the flip side, you're also being told that if you don't fit into this culture here, American culture, you won't succeed. So in the third grade, I had my name legally changed by my parents to Jason, right? I grew up with the name Finn, right? That's, that's my Vietnamese name, Finn, right? And they were like, we're going to legally change your name because you'll be more successful with an American name, right? But at the end of the day, if my Vietnamese starts to slip, I get in trouble. So I have always grown up with this idea that being Vietnamese is an identity crisis. What do I do? What do I want? What, what does it mean to me? But at the same time, it's a prevailing culture. There's something about our culture that has continued to push through in this country, right? Whether it's our cuisine or, or the stories we want to tell, right? a lot of the times there is an intrigue there that I know needs to be tapped more, right? And I think that's how most Asian Americans feel about their own cultures, but I do see it with with our culture. So 
that's that's a long-winded answer. The, the 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 real answer is I'm figuring that out. I don't know. I've been all, all I've ever known surrounding me are, are not Vietnamese stories, right? Growing up in media, watching media, the Vietnamese stories that I did grow up with were so niche and specific, right? And a lot of them were was wrapped up in music, right? Like Paris by Night and 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 that stuff was such a big interest to my family. It was never like let's watch whatever is box office in Vietnam right now. It was like let's watch Paris by Night. So I'm trying to understand now as as an adult with more resources and and that's that's why we got connected and I got connected with Jess and Cape is that I want to understand what being Vietnamese means more to me and hopefully um for me I, the story i want to tell is 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 a story of of finding comfort in this country right that's my parents journey my parents journey hasn't been the american dream they've never been rich they've they've lived on they lived on the poverty line for a long time my mom worked at goodwill for 35 years and never changed her job right she still works there she's going to retire this year my my dad worked jumped from like factory to factory making sort of minimum wage and they were never unhappy because their goal was always comfort so to me being vietnamese is is seeking that comfort always whether in food or music or entertainment we we find things that are comfortable and we we cherish them food is such a a Uh, integral part of of I think all of our stories right yeah. because it's comfortable and um that's sort of the the movie that I'm writing is this this chase for for comfort right about my mom and and finding this chair and and finding the most perfect chair and so that's to me right now what what it means it to to me two answers I'm figuring that out but if I were to look at my parents and and look at the Vietnamese people around me that I grew up with that I know it's 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 finding ways to be comfortable in a in, in in a second home right and if you're vietnamese american right finding ways to be comfortable in your community because you're different right because you might not come up with a bunch of vietnamese but that's because that's the story i know i didn't grow up with a ton of vietnamese people surrounding me i, I only had my family and and small pockets of community but definitely not didn't go to school where there was a ton of vietnamese people and where did you grow up in oregon you said I grew up in Vancouver, Washington. Vancouver, Washington. It's five minutes across the way from Portland, Oregon, um, and I went to a public mag uh, arts magnet school with a graduating class of like sixty, right? Oh. And I was the only I was the only Vietnamese kid. And then coming to LA, right? It wasn't like uh, you know working in the field that I worked in. There was a lot of Vietnamese people doing comedy, doing doing the things that I did. But finding this community now is exciting. So yeah, I think. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna get to answer that question hopefully soon. But if I'm being honest with you, I don't I, I haven't known for a long time, right? Because all I've known is this American sort of way of thinking about things. It's a beautiful answer because I share that with you. Confusion, uh, chaos, confusion, right? Yeah, identity confusion. crisis, right? Yeah, because I was born here in in '75 and. Um, You know, growing up in the 80s and 90s, uh, being Vietnamese, ma a Vietnamese man is totally confusing. You never saw an image of ourselves making out with anybody on screen. Not an Asian woman, not a white woman. Right. Up until yeah. recently with the tourist guide to love. Um, you know, 
we didn't see that. And in fact, we got to see something like a fun mirror twisted image of us. It was like, yeah, to see some dork uh, geek um, that yeah. geeks today and nerds today have, have, a, have a very different shine to to these terms. But when mm -hmm. we were growing up, it was um, it was really uh, below the bottom of the, uh, the the totem pole. It was it was just hor horrific. And I think right. even now that we're gathering steam and we're becoming um, more confident and we're becoming more uh, assertive as a as a, a community, those scars are still very deep inside of us. Yeah, yeah, totally, totally. Like uh, it's it's you know you don't think I like I, I see all I'm so envious of all of these projects that come through. And I'm like man, I wish they were just Vietnamese. You know, like I I see like beef and I'm like man, what if we had a beef? You know, like yeah, I. I, I get so and, and I'm proud, but I'm envious at the same time, right? Because I'm like, I know we're capable of that. It's just we're not seen that way right now. Um But all it takes and, though, Jason, is for somebody to to write it because I think the pipeline mm -hmm. and the the community of really polished uh filmmakers and creatives in our space mm -hmm. there's a lot of us. There's actually I think yeah, it's uh, it. You know, I don't know if it rivals um, things like a tech space or a finance space in New York or whatever, but I could say the Vietnamese in entertainment in L.A. is a pretty mm -hmm. big pool of people from like people have been working since the late 90s to today. There's a lot of people who are still in the business and uh, arguably, you know, like you know, uh, music doesn't have as many people. I would even go as far to say as chefs in the U.S. are not as bountiful as people in the Vietnamese and entertainment um, throughout the country. That's exciting to hear about. And it's just like, I'm just starting to get connected to these people. And I wonder if there's people who are shining in their fields that feel like, where are all the Vietnamese people? Right. And, yeah. and have a hard time connecting. I think, I think this idea of connecting feels old, but also feels new, right? The, the way we're able to connect, I think we're able to connect better and we're working at that. Um, but it needs to be prolonged connection, right? And and it needs to be connection that that feels like we are championing each other's work, and um, that stuff goes a long a long way. It goes a long way. Yeah. One one thing that I've noticed is that um, everybody is willing to work together, and everybody wants to work together. But there's always tension bubbling underneath the surface. You know, of course, that's humanity. But I think the uh, the option of of talking shit and uh, putting each other down like publicly or doing it um, in spaces where you know you have to collaborate, I, I think it's very controlled. I mean, from what I see, uh, the new generation um, still carries over some of the trauma and sort of the uh, scarcity mentality that our parents had. And that's understandable mm -hmm. growing up in uh, war and colonialism and communism and all these yeah. things. But at the same time, I think we are learning how different other communities like Koreans or the Jewish communities are doing yeah. work where they're really protecting each other to make sure that their vision comes up into the uh, big screen and translate into money. Exactly, exactly. And I think it has to be sort of that radical acceptance of, of each other and, and really being purposeful about your support yeah. and not just being passive about your support. Um, because it goes a really long way and, and we can see it 
working for other communities, other, you know, disenfranchised communities that are, that are coming up. Um, yeah, I, I think, I think good work is out there and good people are out there. It's just, how do we, how do we stay connected? And, and I think to your point, like we need a universal story and, and, you know, crazy rich Asians is a universal story because it is, there's a bit of relatability to, to that, but it also is a big story. Right. And feels like a movie. And, and I understand why, why it hit, it hit box office numbers. And I think, you know, going back to your question, like, what does it mean to be Vietnamese to you? I think as storytellers, we need to all start thinking about that together. Right. Because I could tell you right now that like, you know, I, I, I'm 30, I'm a millennial. Right. And growing up, I had a hard time relating to Vietnamese stories because a lot of the Vietnamese stories that were being told were war stories, right? Or they were, they were stories um, outside the country that sort of just didn't represent us. And I think on outside of just regular representation, my like, my like insane pipe dream is to also have Vietnamese people do genre and to do fantastical things that aren't necessarily grounded in reality, but, but be, the sort of world builders that are creating those things like i would love to see a vietnamese led uh like game of thrones or sci-fi project or you know genre project because it, it, we have those stories to tell like where's our james wan right like like i want to i want to see stories that are just bigger than um bigger than 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 just people sometimes right yeah um but that's my like that's my pipe dream my dream right now is just hey let's all tell a story we we agree on that that represents our experience and i think people are doing that people are doing that um i just am excited to see more and i'm excited to contribute we we are to that. Um, you know the the good and the bad thing of where we exist right now in time in hollywood is that there is no Taika or Jordan Peele, uh, the Vietnamese Taika or the Vietnamese Jordan Peele. That's a good thing, but it's also a bad thing, right? It, we exist right on right. That, the cusp of that happening, you know? So it's right. a great time to be in the business. And it's also a shitty time because we need our shot as well. Yeah. Yeah. But I, you know, I, I stay hopeful that that shot's coming. Yeah. Right. Yeah. If not for me, then for somebody, then, and, and if that, if that person gets their shot, I, I'll, you know, I'll champion their film like all Absolutely. night and day. Right. Yeah. Jason, thank you so much. Uh, it's been a pleasure. Uh, it was a pleasure meeting you for the first time uh, in person. And yeah. it's a pleasure getting to know you through this podcast. Thank you so much for coming on. And I look forward to having you back on with uh, the feature film or whatever new project you have. Hey, Hey, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah. And I love that we connected and, and all of a sudden we're on a podcast. So this is great. Awesome. Thanks again, Jason. All right, Ken. I'll talk to you later. Okay. Thank you for listening to The Vietnamese with Kenneth Nguyen. Special thanks to Brittany Tran, to Jane Nguyen, Catherine Nguyen, Tina Pham, Sydney Jamie, and Christo Trin. Please find us on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at The Vietnamese Podcast.